Welcome, everybody. We're excited to have another episode of On the Spot with On the Dot. And today, we're really thrilled to have Dr. Dion Poulton, who is an amazing woman. She is an educator, and she is also an expert in diversity inclusion and is a consultant. And she's built a really incredible business around this passion of getting people, I guess, to realize their biases, sometimes conscious, sometimes unconscious, and you know, and how to deal with those in the workplace and in life. So Dion, we're really, really thrilled to have you here. Thank you so much for being with us. And what I'd love to do is just for you to kind of tell us a little bit about your path. On the Dot is all about providing relatable role models so that our viewers and listeners can actually see your path and maybe some of the bumps along the way and really how you got to where you are today so they can see themselves in you and have the confidence to walk that path too. Well, thank you so much for having me, Melinda. I'm happy to be here. So I actually started off very humble beginnings, but I had two incredible parents who believed in diversity. Actually, they had many people, their professions changed over time, but they ended up becoming politically active. They were community members. So I found growing up a lot of people of different nationalities, races, gender coming into my house. And it was a very a common thing. It was, it was a very normal thing for me. So that was my first kind of introduction to just being open to people. And when I got a little older, my parents were also very kind of, they were very deliberate in teaching me about respect of other people, other cultures, and that just stayed with me. And so interesting, I got a full scholarship for track and field. And I share that because had I not got that scholarship, I probably would not be sitting here today because it gave me an opportunity to, to get my undergraduate degree since I didn't grow up rich. After graduating in undergrad, I went to University of Toronto and did my, my teaching degree. And what kind of brought me to this area is I started off teaching health and PE and long story short, I was successful with some kids in special education classes, particularly black boys who were doing really well, but it was also a very diverse class. And in my first year of teaching, the, when I won Rookie of the Year, one of my colleagues said, well, you're only successful with those kids because you're black and because you're pretty. And I said, wow. And the, the irony is that this particular teacher, well, she had a disability and complained that people were prejudging her and judging her. So I said to her, do you realize, you know, the very thing that you've been complaining about is what you just did to me. I said, you, and you also just deduced my teaching ability, my sound teaching ability to my race and my gender. So that kind of just made me realize that there are some biases at play here because there were kids that were successful in my classes, not because I lowered the standards, but we were being demonized in other classes. So that kind of just opened the door, say, you know what, there's something going on here. Let, let me do a little research. So that was actually back in 1999 that that happened and kind of just moved around, went to San Francisco, ended up at, at, uh, in Atlanta and applied for two different positions. And for one of the positions at a university, I had to do a lesson plan and the lesson plan tied into my, my experiences at the school. And I shared that experience. And I realized the lesson plan that I created for that interview actually could be presented as a workshop. So submitted it for a conference, it was accepted. I ended up getting 25 to 30 solicitations to come to these schools, universities to facilitate it. And I realized, you know what? I've got a budding business here. And it was called Think You're an Unbiased Teacher, Think Again. So that's back in 2004. Really before all the diversity oh. and inclusion buzz. Thank you. I was going to shoot my horn. Thank you for saying that because yeah. I was looking at unconscious bias back then. Now, it's, I won't say it's a zeitgeist, but it's definitely something that people are actually looking at with intention and realizing how critical it is because we see the implications with respect to policing, to school, healthcare. It transcends all industries, which is why my business now is thriving because I'm able to actually use what I'm doing in different areas. So after that happened, I went to UGA. 
I got my PhD and the university actually allowed me to use that research as my research base. So I have the empirical evidence to show that what I'm doing is doing what's designed to do nonetheless. And so I've just been doing that uh, officially since uh, 2011 when I got my PhD and I am having the time of my life. I'm really, really enjoying it. Did you think when you kind of were on this path, you would continue to be an educator, that you would be a teacher? I mean, was that what your goal was or were you always sort of looking to get into business? You know what? In the back of my mind, actually, so I want to do communications initially. So I guess I'm kind of doing somewhat in that area, but I've always been a teacher. When I think back, I was very successful in track and field. So even I think back to when I was 16, my teachers in my PE classes would ask me to help instruct in the classes. And that was when I was 16 years old. I think it's a gift that I have and it's just kind of stayed with me throughout my journey and it has been new and it was a learning curve. It's fascinating because people are people and people are different in certain circumstances, different contexts and workplace environments that when you bring it down to the bare bones, it's about respect. It's about how do you get along? It's about focusing on the mission rather than letting your ego. That is a common thing that exists in every workplace environment, regardless of the industry. Right. I'm sure that there are people out there watching today that, that are teachers and thinking, oh, I'm a teacher. I don't have any business experience. I can't do that. But really what you're doing in your business is teaching and you're just teaching on a much broader base. And I think that that's a really important distinction because I, I think some people, especially women might pigeonhole like, oh, I don't have that experience. You know, there's that, you know, women will only apply for a job if they have hundred percent of the qualifications. Yes. Um, whereas men that, you know, 30, 40%, I got this. So yeah. I think it's that similar concept is just seeing that really what you're doing is you're using those gifts and skills as an educator and as that original thing, but following a passion and, and being able to do that. So I think that's really amazing. A great role model. Thank you. If I could just chime in, I agree with you because if you're good at something, then I'm sure that those skills that you have can transcend other industries. So sometimes it's, it's a matter of sitting down and saying, you know, what are my skills? And then matching your skills with what you like. And inevitably, you can probably find some bridges there. And so you can just expand and, and just go for it. I just believe in just trying new things. What's, what's the worst that can happen, right? Exactly. You got to go for it. You know, uh, we talked about how we hear about diversity and inclusion all the time. And I know that you probably go very in-depth with a lot of your one-on-one -on -one clients. But are there some things that you can do to help us just as sort of lay people, you know, define sort of this modern day definition of diversity inclusion in a company and what kinds of things that we should be aware of and looking for? Are there some quick things that you can tell us that would just help us feel like, hey, I get this? Um, so from a leader perspective? Yes, for leader perspective or even from an employee perspective, just kind of keeping your eyes out and just understanding that either way. There's some similarities between, between the two groups. I'll talk with leaders first. I think with leaders, it's extremely important to make sure that you are practicing diversity and inclusion. What does that mean? It means that you are making sure that there are different types of people, not necessarily about race or gender, but just even if it's ability, if it's skill level, have a, a diverse group of people that are in your circle that also get your ear and that you also listen to because it's important to get those varied perspectives. The more the diversity you have, the better you, you're able to actually learn more. And if there's evidence that shows that you become more innovative when you're more diverse. And it's also important to make sure that there's no favoritism, so to speak. So it's like, you know, you and I are both moms. You can never give the impression that one child is more valuable than the other. And I say that to leaders. It's a constant thing and it's, it's challenging, but you never want to give the perception to anybody in your organization that their behavior is okay, that you're going to let it go, or that somebody is more valuable than the other. And I was raised, you know, whether it was the secretary or the janitor or the principal, I treat everybody the same because ultimately, you know, it's, it's about respect and, and how do you respect people? And that ties into also the employee relations. As a colleague, it's important to be cognizant of 
how you uh, relate to your peers. Do you have biases that are unchecked that you don't realize are actually impacting your approach and also your behavior? And there are times where human will make mistakes. So often when you do that, it's a good thing to say, you know what, I'm sorry. You can say, I'm sorry. Can you please explain to me how I offended you? I apologize. And what can I do differently next time? And that's the respectful thing to do in situations, whether in the workplace or beyond. I think that's great advice because I I do find that especially when you're dealing with young colleagues, younger people in the workforce, often they're uncomfortable doing that. They just sort of, instead of addressing it head on, saying, I'm sorry, asking for that feedback, they kind of just, they know they've done something, but you know, they don't have that conversation. And I think it's really critical that, that we get back to having these civil conversations and doing that. And speaking of sort of those civil conversations and civility, there's so much going on with that because I think it's just gone beyond this diversity inclusion, but also this civility. I mean, we've got the Me Too movement happening. I think that people are feeling awkward in not only in their workspaces about, oh gosh, what's too far, what's not, but also just really in society. And in fact, you wrote a book called It's Not Always Racist, But Sometimes It Is. I think that addresses a lot of these things, but how do we sort of know what those are and how do we sort of restore this? Because it's not fun anymore sometimes. It's kind of like traveling these days, right? I mean, now it is such a hassle. And, and I think people are feeling that way in the workplace and they're feeling that way in social situations as well, because I think they don't know how to deal with these things. So mm-hmm. I'd love to just get your perspective on that. It's a difficult time. And I've heard, especially from men, that they don't know how to behave. They don't know how to act. But I will say... For some men, if you feel like you're walking on eggshells, then I think that's the moment where you really have to examine your behavior. You know, I think about my husband, had these conversations, and there are things that he would never do as a colleague or a boss in his workplace. So I think for some people, the Me Too movement has kind of put a spotlight on their behavior that somehow has not been kind of kosher the entire time. And then there's some people that they may be overly sensitive and jump and say, well, that's sexual harassment, that's not appropriate, whatever. And I think that the happy medium is, okay, let's go back to basic principles. Let's show respect. And what does that look like? That means I'm going to treat you as I expect to be treated. If I overstep, if I offend, then as I said before, say I'm sorry and ask for feedback. That's what you can do. And the the feedback part is extremely difficult, especially for some people, because in order to accept feedback, you need to be humble. There are some people who it doesn't matter what they do, they cannot say I'm sorry. That's not a good quality. Because if you can't say you're sorry, then there's never an opportunity for you to correct your behavior. And then you'll keep offending and offending and offending and offending. So it's very important to to just continue the dialogue. And so that that would be my suggestion. And as a leader, it's the leader's job to to set the boundaries for for the expectations for behavior and being very outright and saying, this is what's acceptable, this is not acceptable. Because ultimately, you cannot punish somebody for breaking a rule they don't know about. So it's important of having that continuous dialogue. And this is where culture comes into play. It's it's what kind of culture have you created as a leader and as an employee? How are you contributing to that culture? Are you being toxic? or are you being um, collaborative? It's very nuanced and it's situational, but I think it's doable. Like, I hear your point and I love to banter. I'm, I love to, <laughs> to give it back and forth with my male friends, my female friends. Uh, but again, if you cross the line, just say, you know, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to offend you. That's right. Well, and I think that also, I I read an article over the weekend just sort of about how to respond to these, you know, people that are joking, you know, as part of this Me Too movement. And you address one thing is like getting to this extreme, like, oh my God, that's a rest. You know, some of it is, you know, stepping back, sort of assessing intent, right? Um, And and then, you know, part of the onus is on person. You you talk a lot about, hey, if you've overstepped, you need to say you're sorry. But, you know, this, this article talks about how you deal with that. It's like, you know, don't look away. Don't walk away. 
you don't have to get ugly, but you also have to participate in telling that person, hey, you know, I'm sure that joke was funny in some other life, but it's not funny here and here, you know, and, and you know, but trying not to be, not to be ugly, like making somebody realize that this is not okay. But I think so many times, you know, people avert their eyes and sort of walk away and then just make their own judgments instead of actually helping create this better culture. So I think okay. it makes both the sides, not only the person who's Absolutely. offended, but the person who has been offended also needs to stand up in a respectful, civil yes. way, try to address that. And then, hey, if it doesn't work, then there's the time to take that to another level. Absolutely. And I will say with the caveat that, you know, you and I, you can tell we're both very vocal people. We speak for a living. So addressing things and being quick comes to us pretty easily. The people who are more reticent and who have difficulty kind of addressing those matters, I would say to them that you have to literally like rehearse what your response will be. <laughs> so, and, and there are moments where I had to actually learn this as well. There are times where I would encounter people. There's one particular person I'll share years ago that would just say stuff that was very offensive and I didn't have the words and I didn't know how to address it. So I literally said, I went home one day and I said, you know what? When he says this, I'm going to say this. So I had my script ready for him. And when I responded the next time, he was shocked and he never did it again. So my advice to the people who don't feel comfortable speaking up and it's not necessarily a, a normal thing for them to be, it's not even confrontational, it's, it's setting boundaries of being respectful of yourself and others. Go home and rehearse what you're going to say <laughs> because you, you have to address things. Not, not addressing things is not the right thing to do in this climate. I think that to your point, you know, here's somebody who is saying offensive things. This person may not be a bad guy, right? Sometimes those are the people that we need to be most afraid of, the people who just don't get it. You've heard a lot of people say stuff. I mean, Tony Robbins, right? And you're just kind of like, wait a minute, he's a respected, good guy. But then you're like, what? And I think sometimes, you know, that cluelessness. So us being able to stand up and give somebody the benefit of the doubt, because the minute you said something, he stopped. And maybe that was what he needed to better himself. And aren't we all responsible for helping each other get to that level of civility? And just one more um, thing on, on civility. I think it's it, it's interesting. And I do notice that, that, you know, just the way sort of younger people maybe speak to adults. This other article I was reading about how young kids, they're not as respectful in their speech because of voice-activated technology huh. like Alexa. So you don't say to Alexa, oh, hi, Alexa, how are you? Good morning. Hey, I was just wondering if you might be able to turn on the light. <laughs> and you don't do that, right? Alexa would be completely clueless going, what? You know, yeah. so you hear you say, Alexa, turn on the light. And then all of a sudden you're at work and like, turn on the light. I'm like, what? Wait a minute. You don't talk to me. No, I think we're losing that nuance, right? That we grew up with that please and thank you. And you know, that respectfulness. And it was just, yes. about, it's because that's the way we're being trained. And it's really hard then to flip to, oh, this is actually a human being, not a machine. <laughs> Wow. Yeah, that's very fascinating. I, I would love to read that article. I guess it comes back to teaching the kids that, uh, you know what, you can behave this way here, but not here. <laughs> and at some point, when, it's, when they're younger, you can't, you get a pass, okay? Because they, they don't necessarily understand fully what they're doing in the moment. They have less self-control, so to speak. But for adults, not inclined to let those behaviors pass. Yes, not, not inclined <laughs> to let them off the hook. But I, you know, I do think that, um, you know, not letting that cross over, because again, it just goes into this whole civility and in, in workplace and other social situations and just keeping a check on that, but pretty interesting. You know, a few minutes ago, you sort of alluded to the buzzword of unconscious bias, and you, you were sort of understanding that way long ago before really it became this buzzword and understanding, but I think unconscious bias is super, super important. And even though we talk about it, I'm not sure we're talking about it enough. 
I've got actually a good friend who is in the very top realms at Dell and Dell is a really cool company. They do a lot on really looking at their culture and figuring out what they can do in the community. How can they can be good partners? And they actually did a whole internal study and workshop on unconscious bias with their upper management team, which is a lot of male, um, although they do a great job of promoting women. And it was just really, really fascinating, the eye-opening, because some of these guys were just blown away. Like, I didn't even know I felt like that. And they were horrified. And I can tell you from my own experience, I've just been trying to be very conscious. And I've been horrified at some of my own unconscious bias. And I keep myself in check, but I realize I'm thinking about this. I'm like, stop, you know, look at what I'm doing. Do you have any tips or anything that we can stop and do to really help sort of perpetuate this, like making unconscious bias conscious so that we actually can eradicate it? What you described there is the process because, and looks like you are successful in that catch yourself in the moment. You have self-regulation to, to recognize when it's happening. There are people who need external triggers, so to speak, to, to make them realize, okay, hey, this is what's going on and this is actually what you just did. And of course, it, it's not always perfect. It runs along the continuum. But I would say, um, and I, I often say, it, it's good to sit down and really think about, okay, who really kind of gets under your skin? Who makes you uncomfortable? And do that quietly. Do that not just in the moment when you're out in public, but be at home and think about and examine, okay, why do I think this way? Why do I feel this way around these types of people? Or why does this person evoke this emotion in me? Where did I learn this? How did I learn this? And that's where we, we kind of draw upon how we were raised, or is it how society has presented these people as well? So there, there are different ways or different ways that we are being inundated with messages. And so it's important to be cognizant and as you described, just being aware and being conscious that you, are un- you have unconscious biases. And, and no one's perfect. I'll share with you how I got in this in the first place is because not just the incident with the woman, in, in my training, I do two things in the beginning. I talk about culprit bias, which is where you are the offender. And some people object to being called a victim, but I use the word victim bias, where, where you have been the recipient of the, of the offense. And so in my situation, the victim bias, so to speak, was, was the lady at my school. And for me, the culprit was very early on when I moved to San Francisco after teaching black boys in special education. Again, a lot of them had difficulties with reading and writing and, and so on. And I moved to California and decided to get acclimated to the area and volunteered in an after-school program. Long story short, I was tutoring a young black boy who was probably maybe six years old. And, or no, no, no he's probably maybe about eight years old. And I caught myself being surprised that he could actually read. It was an epiphany. I could, I just, I was very shocked because, okay, I'm married to a black man. I come from an educated family of many black males. So where did I get that? And so what I did was I transferred my experience at my teaching school. I brought that context to the new context unconsciously. So I figured, okay, you know what? If they can't read over here, that means they can't read over here. And that was, a, I was completely horrified to use your words, I was mortified because here I am, I'm a black woman and I'm supposed to be about diversity and here I am, I'm prejudging a young black boy. So that was a really huge, huge um, rude awakening for me. And and I actually shared that in my workshops because people need to know that, you know what, even though I'm the so-called expert, that you can fall short. And it's a constant, constant thing. It's not a, it's not a, uh, you know, I'm going to do this and finally I've arrived and it's done. It's an ongoing thing. And every day that you go out presents an opportunity to work on your unconscious biases. That's right. Well, and I, I like what you said, because I, I think that I, I do this a little bit too. And you know how you kind of out yourself? It's like, 
we should be talking about this more and talking about those biases and you know not only are we checking ourselves but i mean if even writing it down when you do have one so that you have that reference point it is that awareness and now that i've i i, I sort of did this as a test you know to, for myself but now and i'm not not perfect at all i'm constantly checking myself now because i realize a few times Mm -hmm. I definitely had unconscious bias. And when I acknowledge that to myself and was horrified, right, and going, okay, why do I have this? I mean, here I am, I'm in the women's empowerment space and I'm judging women. Like, I, what, what am I doing and why am I doing that? Actually sort of acknowledging that to myself now mm -hmm. really made a big difference in, in, in going forward because at least I certainly am more aware of it. I will say too, and especially for public figures, it is even more paramount that you do this because we can think of countless people who are, have been on television or the radio and they've said stuff that's like, what? And it's because, <laughs> because research says that you are more likely to disclose what you really think when you are preoccupied with something else. When you're busy or preoccupied, that's when you really, really know what people think. So that's why, again, you have to make sure you do the work before you turn on that microphone or right. you get before the camera because it's going to come out. <laughs> and it has to exactly. That's great. Okay, so what's your big dream? I know you've got a cool podcast. You've got some other stuff. But sort of what, what's next for you? What's your big dream, your legacy? Oh, well, I'm working on my second book right now. So I'm not ready to disclose the, the, the theme, but I'm, I'm working on it to get out soon. And um, I would love my own show to bring my radio show, The Dr. Dion Show, to a, maybe put on television. It seems to be resonating quite a bit with people. And I love the fact that I'm able to meet just cool individuals from all walks of life and just talk about cool issues. And so that would be my dream, my bucket list dream for sure. That's awesome. So tell people where they can find your podcast. Sure. So it's called The Dr. Dion Show, and it airs every Friday on iTunes. And again, it focuses on diversity and inclusion in the workplace and beyond. And I've had anywhere from police chiefs talking about uh, shootings of un unarmed black men to women in finance who have lost um, their husbands, whether through death or divorce and what happens to them when they fall into poverty. And how do you safeguard yourself to make sure you don't fall into that trap if something happens? I've had a prosecutor come on along with a GBI agent, undercover GBI agent, talking about human sex trafficking and this big thing that they broke. So it runs the gamut. I had somebody talk about their, my, my friend who's 6'10", played in the NBA. He came on talking about height bias. I'm fascinated by just the stories and I'm learning a lot and just it's, 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 a, it's a ride. It's a fun ride. That's fascinating. Well, thank you for that. So in this realm, is there you know, one piece of advice that you would love to give our listeners or viewers today, uh, just how we can sort of participate in this and do better um, out mm. there in the world? You know, I think, again, it's respect. And, and what does respect look like? Again, it's just looking at the person. First of all, recognize that that person is human. <laughs> Let's put it that way. And I always say, oh, well, people say, oh, I've got nothing in common with that person. I said, you know what? Every person that, that's on this earth was born to a, to a woman. We all have that in common. So right. start there. <laughs> you have a mother, I've got a mother. Talk about your mother. Talk about whatever. And there's always a way to bridge the gap, to have conversations with people and to just learn about other people and be cognizant of your biases. But and I say lead with love. It's huge. The people that you can meet out in, in public and it's, it's incredible. And it's, it's, it's such a wonderful ride and a journey. Yeah, I love that. Lead with love. Very good. Because we're all about role models and providing role models and you are a wonderful one. Is there someone um, in your life that was a role model for you or someone's? You know, I, fortunately, I come from a family of very strong, educated women. 
Um, we're talking from my great grandmother who was, she was an actuary. We're talking way back when um, my, my, my grandmother went back to school at MIT and got her master's degree at 65 years old. And then my mother, she's now deceased, but um, she spoke five languages. She moved from Trinidad and Tobago to Canada in the 60s with my father and um, just worked her way up. She was a bank manager. She en ended up becoming, uh, working for the Immigration Refugee Board, deciding who comes in, in and out of Canada. And then before her passing, she became a Justice, justice of the Peace and was a well-respected member of the community. So I would say those have been my role models. And also my aunt, I have my Auntie Jan was also one of the first black female lawyers in Ontario, Canada. The sad thing is that they've all passed on. So that's been my difficulty in, in trying to say, you know, all my mentors are gone and, and all the people that just have been so amazing, but I'm so grateful that I got the lessons before they passed. So by doing this work and just being the, the best person I can be, I'm honoring them and I'm respecting their legacy. So yes, well, you are. And thank you for being here today and giving back and extending that legacy because I think that the cool thing about role models, sharing role models and their knowledge is that then we all get the benefit of a lot of those teachings that you got. And that's what's really important. And so I, I always encourage, you know, I have a lot of women say, oh, I can't be a role model. Oh, I'm not, I'm not there yet. Or everybody is a role model. And I think it's just important to, to share your journey and those lessons and to really, you know, listen for those and be grateful for those. So I'm, I'm grateful that you shared with us today. I think what you're doing is amazing. And I love that you were doing it before. It was cool and hip, right? To be part of this, right? And now you're, you're leading the way and leading some, some really amazing conversations. So I predict that you are going to help restore some civility in the workplace and help really push this diversity and, and include inclusion space to new levels, which I think is super important in this day and age, and especially for women. So thank you for doing that. And thank you. And thank you so much for having me on your show. It was great to meet you, Melinda. Absolutely. And y'all can check out, um, you can find Dr. Dion and her podcast at PoultonConsultingGroup.com. We'll have that link, of course, in this post. And you should also check out her book. It's not always racist, but sometimes it is. And I know it's available on Amazon because I saw it on there. So yeah, check that out. And thank you so much. Have a wonderful day. Thanks again. Thank you.